Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. You know, Christmas is, for those of you who don't know, is the time when we celebrate the birth of Jesus. I know different cultures have different traditions of what this day is all about and what we're, what we're celebrating. But it is the birth of Jesus. He is the reason for the season, if you've ever heard that expression before. But why is that event so necessary? What is it about the state of mankind that required God to incarnate himself, for God to become human? What was happening that required such a move that the one who created the universe, who has always existed and always was, chose to reduce himself down to the size of a human seed? Why would he do that? What would have happened that led to the need for God to come to us? You know, a lot of people believe that God just created the world, he created mankind, and then he was like, see ya, you're on your own, I'm going to go do my God thing and be God and whatever it is that God does, and you're left to your own devices, you're left on your own. But the Bible teaches us that God is much more involved in the course of human events than we could ever possibly imagine. When God first created mankind, if you read in the book of Genesis, he created Adam and he created Eve, and he put them in this perfect place called the Garden of Eden. And in this perfect place, Adam and Eve wanted for nothing. All the food they needed was there. The temperature was so perfect, they didn't even have to have any clothes. I mean, it was just this perfect environment. There's probably no mosquitoes. Well, maybe they were, but they didn't bite. What did mosquitoes do? Because certainly they didn't bite in the Garden of Eden. Not in my notes. I don't know where that came from. I just thought they must have had some other godly purpose besides biting Adam and Eve. The point is, Eden was a perfect place. God provided a perfect place for the pinnacle of his creation in Adam and Eve. And he not only provided a place for them, he provided his presence. See, God did not just leave Adam and go, all right, you're on your own, figure it out. The Bible says he would come and walk with him in the cool of the day. He would spend time with Adam, not because Adam needed it for more instruction. He loved Adam and wanted to spend time with Adam and with Eve. And Adam and Eve loved to spend time with God. It was this unbroken fellowship where the voice of God has never been clearer to humankind than it was in the garden. And they wanted for nothing. God provided for Adam identity. He provided for him provision. He was his provider. And he protected him from anything that could possibly harm him. But unfortunately, Adam and Eve made a choice to listen to another voice in the garden. We'll talk about that voice in just a moment. But they sinned and were kicked out of the garden, and they had given birth to two sons named Cain and Abel. And once sin entered into the world, and perfection was no longer perfect, Cain has a bad day. He has a bad day where he 
thinks that God cares more about his brother than he does about him. Anybody, anybody have older brothers, little brothers here? Can get a little competitive. Well, though I was competitive with my older brother, it didn't lead to this point. Cain killed Abel because he didn't like the way God was praising his brother but yet rebuking him. And so God approaches Cain, we see in Genesis chapter 4. The Lord God says, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opens its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. A restless wanderer. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. We see that when Cain kills Abel, he's banished from his home to just be a wanderer. And he settles in this land, Nod. The word Nod literally means wanderer. Cain feared being removed from his home because he knew that it meant he would lose the protection of his heavenly father. He'd be homeless. He'd not have a home. He'd not have a family. And even when he gets settled... Even when he finally finds a place where he can maybe kind of make a home out of it, it's still called the place of wandering. Even though he's settled, he's still himself in a place of wandering. You ever feel like, If I can just get that job, if I can marry that girl, if I can have that house, if I can hit that number, I'll be settled. And yet sometimes you accomplish the very thing that you set your heart on, but yet you still got a heart that wanders. And pretty soon the girl's not doing it for you anymore. The job has got some challenges in the house. Well, it's a lot of upkeep that comes with the dream home. And your heart begins to wander again. Even when you're settled, you can still have a heart that wanders. The wandering hasn't stopped for us. We, because of Adam's sin, were banished from the presence as well. And it leaves us in this perpetual state of wandering where mankind searches for belonging but never really fits anywhere. They may find the right place. They might find substitutes and counterfeits for the presence. They may fill their life with things in the pursuit of success, but they don't really fit anywhere. And so instead, we settle for the good job. We settle for the spouse, a few kids, a house, some friends, maybe a good vacation every now and then. But even in our settling down, we're still unsettled. There has to be more. There has to be more. I know very successful people in this world. And I know homeless people. 
And they both had the same cry of their hearts. There has to be more. I know people that are multimillionaires that live in fear of losing it all. And yet I know people with very little that just know that God's going to provide for them somehow. The difference is the presence. Because what Adam lost, Jesus got back for us. There has to be more. The wandering heart of man is restless until it finds what it was created for. And it won't settle for anything less. Your heart will not settle for anything else. We fill our lives full of distractions and man-made attempts at success and meaning, but every generation just seems to get worse. Seven generations on from Cain, there's another descendant and his name is Lamech. Lamech just shows up on the scene seven generations later. And in Genesis 4.24, it's this odd scripture that pops up where he says, where Lamech actually killed a boy for injuring him. So a boy hurt Lamech, so Lamech kills him. Can you see the progression of what happens to the wandering heart? You injure me, I kill you. And he makes this statement, if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. See, when God created man, he put him in this perfect place, and his presence was with man always. Life in the presence of God meant identity, it meant protection, it meant provision. But now the wandering heart of man has made the earth a place of vengeance and wrath. And it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Spoiler alert. Jesus tells Peter later. The apostle Peter says, how many times should I forgive? Seven times? And he says, no, 77 times. It's a direct correlation to what Lamech said back in Genesis. Where man's heart, his wandering heart... Seats vengeance 77 times. Jesus says, no, you are to forgive 77 times. God's intervention into the course of human events through his son Jesus reversed the curse that was continuing to make mankind worse and worse and worse. When Jesus shows up on the scene, things don't get worse anymore. They get way better. There has to be more. God's people wandered for generations and generations through continued disobedience to the covenant of love that God had made with them. The Israelites, God's people, wandered from one defeat to another, suffering under the iron fist of whatever empire was ruling at the time. It's what their history is filled up. There'd be glimpses of hope. Romy didn't even know what I was preaching, and she's literally preaching my message when she stands up here. There would be these little glimmers of hope, these glimpses of hope, when God's people would respond to the heart of the Father that says, return to me. And they'd have great moments where they would repent of their sin. They would tear down the idols and they'd say, God, we've sinned against you. We return back to you. But then when things got good again, they'd forget They forget that it was the kindness of God. 
and his love that had provided for them and made it good. Man would begin to think that the reason things were good was because of something they had done rather than things are good because God is good and not us. If you want some good theology today, God is good and not us. But God makes us good. You see, I told you there was another voice in the garden. It was the voice of the enemy. Genesis describes it as a serpent, which we know is Satan or the devil. And the enemy seeks to destroy those whom God loves. And right when things got good for the Israelites, he'd show up again and begin to whisper his same old lies into the hearts of man. Did God really say that? If God is so good, then why are bad things happening to you and all around you? Anybody heard those whispers before? He's never done anything for you. You're a self-made man. Everything you've gotten in this world, you've earned. And everything bad that's happened to you, you deserve. It's the same old crafty lies that come in that want to steal away the promise of God that he gives to his people and steal away the blessing. When Adam walked with God in the garden, he knew God's voice because he's right there. He's not going, God, is it you? I don't know if it was you, the devil, me, or pizza. And God's like, I'm, I'm right here. There's no confusion as to whose voice that was because the presence was there. He knew God's voice. He felt his presence. Adam was naked and unashamed. Not just naked physically. There was nothing about Adam that God didn't already know. And Adam was cool with that. There's been few moments in my life when the realization that God knows everything about me makes me cool with that. There's some moments when I go, God, you know everything about me. Oh yeah, I forgot about that one. Sorry, God. Um, can, we, can we deal with that one real quick? It's funny, when you hear the voice of the Father, you rush into those moments. King David said, search me and know me, see if there's any unclean way within me. And then he says, renew a right spirit within me. Because he knew that when God puts his finger on something in your heart, it's not to lay blame, it's to wash that thing away with his blood to make you clean once again. Because he wants you to hear him. He wants you to walk with him. He wants you to experience his presence and his blessing. He wants you to be healed. He wants you to be whole. He wants you to be delivered. He wants you to be saved because he loves you. So when he puts his finger on your heart and reveals things, it's not to tell you how bad you are, it's so that you can keep those things out of your heart so that there's unbroken fellowship with him. But for Adam and Eve, when the other voice entered the garden, he sowed doubt into the hearts of man. You see, the enemy questioned Adam and Eve's first, what they questioned was their ability to hear God. Did God really say Then he questioned God's motives towards them. Oh, he said that, 
But he said that because he's holding you back. He just doesn't want you to be like him. Eve got the first question right. Did God really say? She got it right. But the second one tripped her up. Well, maybe he is keeping something from me that's good. Maybe I can just experiment a little bit. Maybe I can just take a little bite. Who knows what I'm missing out on? And so Adam sinned, Eve sinned, then Adam sinned. And when the first question didn't get her, the second one did. And she began to doubt God's motive towards her. Because of the doubt that took root in her heart, man slipped further and further away from the presence and slowly lost the ability to hear God for themselves. And so God began to speak through prophets. And if you wanted to hear God, you had to go to a man of God to hear what God had to say. That was never his intention. His intention is that all of us would have unbroken fellowship with him and would hear his voice. This made them susceptible to the lies of the enemy that resulted in disobedience from man. And now caught in an endless cycle of sin and disobedience. It's a cycle that would happen. They would fall into sin and disobedience and they would receive punishment, usually by a nation coming and taking them captive. They would cry out to God. God would send a deliverer because he's merciful and he wants to rescue his people. And they'd end up in a time of peace and blessing. And then the same old lies would get whispered to him again. And they'd slip back into sin and subsequent captivity from whatever neighboring empire happened to come in at the time. God's people were suffering now, thousands of years later, under just their current cyclical oppressor, Rome. Rome's just the latest one on the scene. There has to be more. There's got to be something that breaks this cycle. We've been stuck in this cycle of sin and punishment, repentance, blessing, Sin, punishment, repentance, blessing, sin. Something's got to break the cycle of this. And man is powerless to do it. And his heart is left wandering. Just like it did for Cain. The wandering part of man's heart has still not left. Because even when it gets good, he begins to look around at what else is out there. The enemy still whispers his same old lies. You can't hear God. Even if you could hear God, he'd just tell you how much you've messed up. You could never be good enough for God to accept you. Well, at least he got that one right. Because that's true. But with a spin. How many know sometimes you can tell the truth, but it has a little bit of a spin on it? Those same lies create doubts in the hearts of man. It separates us from the presence, and it results in disobedience from God and a resistance to His love. Imagine resisting love. There's a lot of things you can resist, but God, I pray, don't ever resist love. I don't mean manipulation masquerading as love. I mean real love. For many, it's caused them to even doubt the existence of God. But the Bible tells a story of this young couple 
caught in these thousands of years, the cycle of sin and disobedience, created by the wandering hearts of men. And this couple is an engaged couple of very simple means. Though Joseph is technically royalty, Luke says he's of the house and lineage of David. He's a far cry from the glory of his ancestors, David and Solomon. It's been so long since they've seen the presence and the power of God moving in their life and in their nation. Now, like all of God's people, Joseph and Mary longed for a Savior, the promised Messiah who would rescue them from their oppressors and establish His kingdom. But yet now Joseph and Mary find themselves wandering because the current oppressor Rome says, we're going to take a census. I want everybody to go back to their hometown. So here Joseph, Joseph and Mary are on a new wander. Or if you're Australian, a walkabout. They're starting to wander to their hometown. So they do what most people do. They pack up the family donkey or whatever they had, probably jumped on a caravan because traveling alone was dangerous at the time, and begin on their way down to Bethlehem. But there's something about this wandering moment. It's different from all the others. You ever felt like you're just caught up in this machine and you're powerless against it? God, the forces of this world are so out of my control. What could I possibly do to change anything? And so we just give in and we either become a part of the machine or we try to separate ourselves and say, I am not with them. But we don't always understand the power we have to break the machines that set themselves up against the kingdom of God. And something's about to happen that's going to break that cycle. This wander is very, very different. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26, it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that's Mary's uh, sister. Cousin. Wow. Just checking. Her cousin. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. I love it. If you want to do a great study, look at how many times angels showed up and said, you who are highly favored. Because it was always to people who at the time didn't look very highly favored. What a great introduction. You who are highly favored. Do you understand this is what the Lord speaks over you? Hello, you who are highly favored favored. Sam Sansalone, you who are highly favored. Man, you can hear that and go, is there another one here? No, you. Today you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth. This is the way I pictured Gabriel saying it. He's just getting so excited. 
You will give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Your Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will rule over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom would never end. That angel showed up and said, the cycle is about to be broken once for all. This trip, this wander of yours will culminate in the birth of the one who will break the cycle of sin and shame. Mary, you will give birth to the Messiah. And it's going to be a miracle. You will deliver the deliverer. The one who will wipe every tear from every eye. Who will forgive your sin. All of it. Even the ones that nobody else knows about. He'll even forgive those. Even the ones you forgot about. He's going to forgive those. And he'll heal all your diseases. All of them. The one who will drive out demons and defeat the works of the enemy. Her child would become the once-for-all sacrificial lamb and take away the sins of the world. His hands would heal. His heart would love. His blood would wash away sins. His forgiveness would heal and cleanse man of all of his past mistakes. And Mary, you're going to give birth to him. I remember when we had Liam, who's now almost 20 years old, I remember the night feeds. Anybody remember night feeds? Those 3 a.m. feeds, of which Romy did the vast majority of those. But every now and then, I would do a night feed with Liam at 3 a.m. Through, through the bottle. And, and, and I remember, you're just so tired, you know? And you're, you get up, and all the mothers just totally, I just got, I felt the look from all the mothers when I said how tired I was. Y'all do way more. I'm just saying, I'm being real right now. I'm being real. I'd be so tired, and I'd go in, not frustrated, because you're a parent, it's what you do, and we'd be in Liam's little nursery, back when Liam was little, and, and, and I'd put him in my arms, and it was just me and him, and I'd stick that bottle in his mouth, and he'd look at me, and I just went, I don't think I've ever been woken up at three o'clock in the morning, and just been so thrilled to look at my son totally dependent on me, just cooing and so happy for that bottle and the intimacy that you develop with your child in those night feeds is pretty special. I had a love-hate relationship with those. And I thought about Mary. As she gets woken up for those 3 a.m. feeds, the voice that spoke worlds into being looked at her and said, Mama. What a Savior. What a Savior. What a friend. All while Joseph pretended to be asleep. <laughs> you dads know what I'm talking about. Just look straight ahead. It's okay. <laughs> oh, did he wake up last night? I was sound asleep. <laughs> that night, 
Mary's wonder turned to wonder. It turned to wonder. Could this be? Could this be the end of my cycle? Of the rut that we've been in for thousands of years? How could this be? How could this humble little baby be the answer to everything? It's just a great example that God doesn't always show up like you think He's going to. It's a good reminder that the best things come in very small packages. When we're left wondering, God sent a son to take away the sins of the world. When we're left wandering, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name is Jesus. He is the Christ. Friend, are you still wandering? Have you found yourself with that wandering heart that even when you've got a a measurement of settling, have I finally gotten to that place, you still have this restless, restless wander of your heart where you don't fit, nothing else fits. Maybe you fit drugs or alcohol into it. Maybe you fit success or the pursuit of success maybe you just think if I get the right friends if I get the right spouse if I get the right partner then maybe finally my wandering heart will be at rest none of that will do there has to be more and there is his name is Jesus he's already come God with us Emmanuel he came to the earth on Christmas morning. No, it wasn't December 25th. Doesn't matter. He came. He came. He came. God became man and dwelt among us and took on the sins of the world. Every sin that had ever been committed, every sin that was currently committed, and every sin that will ever be committed, He took on His body. We deserve that death. When I look at the cross, I see my sin nailed, finished, put on his body so that we can be healed, so that we can be whole. God gave his son so that you can be forgiven, set free, and adopted into his family. That is very, very good news. He became like us so that we could become like him. We don't deserve it, we don't earn it, but he did it anyway, because that's what dads do. That's the lavish love of the Father poured out on us. As we close this service tonight, I want to offer you an invitation. I want to offer you an invitation to join the family. Not Seashore Church. To join the family of God. God is in the adoption business. How funny is it that God became a human baby taken in by a family. But the reality is they were becoming a part of his family more than he was becoming a part of their family. He's in the adoption business. That when you receive his gift of salvation, that of life and love, 
you are becoming a part of his family. Those that have already become a part of his family that have surrendered their hearts to him, I think about it this way. I'm walking around with a stack of adoption papers that have already been signed on one side. It's signed in the blood of Jesus. It says, son, daughter, and it's got your name on it. And so I want to make it my life's purpose to take these adoption papers to every single person I can find and say, he's already signed it. Do you want to put your signature on the other side? Because you don't have to sign. You don't have to become a part of his family. But he's already done the work. The hard work is already done. It costs you nothing. It costs him everything. All it takes is a decision to surrender your life to Jesus. To accept his free love. Sorry, accept his free gift of salvation. And you can be a part of his family. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for a moment. I know it's maybe a little bit of a heavy message for Christmas Eve, but it's a good one because he's good. If you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus, if you've never had a chance to ask him into your heart to receive his forgiveness of your sin, I want to lead you in a very simple prayer. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, but you know, this Christmas season can be a very different one for you. In 2022, This could be the year that everything changed. The cycle of sin and shame can break tonight for you when you'll just receive him in. So if that's you tonight, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And you can repeat these words along with me. I'll do them in little bite-sized pieces so we can all pray together. And though you're repeating my words, I'm going to ask you to make this your prayer, not just the repeating of what I'm saying. And the promise of God in his word is if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, he will save you from your sins and give you eternal life. Pray with me. Say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. I need your presence. I thank you that you died for me. I believe that you are the son of God. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and guide me that I may feel you, that I may hear you, that I may see you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, can we give the Lord a hand for that? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.